fait j'ai voulu te, te téléphoner Pour te, te demander Allo quelque chose quoi All right, well, thank you to Zap Mama for Allo, Allo, and Allo to all of you listening out there, whether on the radio or streaming worldwide at WOMR.org. This is Arts Week, and I'm Jeanette de Beauvoir. It's chilly and gray out there, so February is a wonderful month for going to the movies, and you have lots of options. At the Provincetown Public Library, you can celebrate Black History Month with a series of films on Wednesdays at 5.30. The Cape Cod National Seashore is offering a winter film festival on two Sunday afternoons, February 4th and the 11th, with two classic nautical films, Captains Courageous and PT-109. That's at the Salt Pond Visitor Center in East Ham. At the Water's Edge Cinema in Provincetown tonight only as part of the film art series in collaboration with Provincetown Art Association and Museum and hosted by Howard Karen, the cinema brings you Bugsy. The Tobac script is faithful to historical facts about gangster Bugsy Siegel's life. He becomes, in the hands of Beatty and Levinson, an American visionary, the father of Las Vegas. That's at 7 p.m. tonight, and you can get tickets at ptownfilm.org. Starting this weekend at the beautiful Cape Cinema, it's American fiction with a special screening on the 13th of Tammy and the T-Rex. American director Sidney Lumet would have turned 100 this year. To honor his contribution to film, we are screening four of his most acclaimed movies. Join us as we show a classic courtroom drama, a failed bank robbery based on true events, a biting television satire, and a countercultural family on the run from the FBI. And that is all at the Wellfleet Public Library, Tuesdays in February at 6 p.m. And of course, every Thursday night at 7.30, right here at WOMR, you can see classic films. Tonight, it's Rain with Joan Crawford, and next Thursday, it's Nanook of the North. At the East Ham Public Library, it's a winter music series showcasing a diverse range of musical talents from the local community. That's every other Saturday at 1 p.m., and starting this Saturday with Bourbon Sunset folk, gospel, mandolin, banjo, and guitar. And you can find out more about that. Get all the dates at easthamlibrary.org. If you have any interest in what's been going on in Ukraine, on Saturday at the Provincetown Commons, you can hear From Endangered Species to an Endangered Nation by Dr. Olga Spack, a former marine researcher specializing in the study of Arctic whales. In 2015, she worked as an aerial observer in the Center for Coastal Studies' right whale ecology program, flying right whale surveys over Cape Cod Bay. When Russia invaded Ukraine, Olga left behind her 25-year-long scientific career to provide critical supplies for the soldiers fighting on the front line. She is now the director of Assist Ukraine. She's briefly in the U.S. and visiting friends in Provincetown this weekend and will present her unique and very personal perspective on the war and her experiences in war-torn cities. So that's this Saturday at 3 p.m. at the Provincetown Commons. And finally, looking ahead at the Barnstable Performing Arts Center on February 24th and 25th, it's the James Bond Experience, the music behind the man. Some say the music behind the legend was as intriguing as the man himself. 
You can decide for yourself. Experience the iconic music of Bond films spanning more than five decades, from classics by Shirley Bassey and Paul McCartney to blockbuster hits by Adele and Billie Eilish. And you can find out more about that at capesymphony.org. So my guest in the studio today is David Drake. He's the artistic director of the Provincetown Theater as well as an actor, director, and writer. Known for Philadelphia, Peora Babylon, and The Night Larry Kramer Kissed Me, the latter of which won an impressive number of theatrical awards. Mm. Welcome back to Arts Week, <laughs> David Drake. Hi, thank you for having me, Jeanette. Thank I'm so you. excited to have you. Um, now, what you're doing right now, as I understand it, is you are auditioning for the theater's presentation of Angels in America. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to talk a little bit about that. Yes. Um, it's It's been called, this play has been called like a turning point mm-hmm. in, in, in gay portrayal and gay culture in the theater. Um, and, and in fact, in, in the whole literary milieu of American theater. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and... I know that you've been connected with a number of projects that also, you know, address, well, obviously Philadelphia mm-hmm. or my favorite, which is Longtime Companion, which mm-hmm. you were in I as mean, a very young too, person. Yeah. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> with my big hair and big 80s glasses. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, coming from that perspective, um, where do you see Angels in America sort of fitting in and moving forward? Sure. Uh, yeah, I think at that time when it was written in the, uh, it's 30 years old. It is, yeah. It's a little older than that because writers start, you know, two years before any of that gets done, or many years, actually. In this case, it was only a few years, but um, with Tony Kushner's Angels in America, part one and part two, he was continuing to write it as they were producing the shows. I mean, he was really, it was an ongoing story for him with Perestroika part two which we'll do next season. This season we're doing Angels in America Part 1, Millennium Approaches, and Part 2 next season we will conclude, you know. The uh, saga. That's right. We won't binge watch this show in six <laughs> hours. We will split we it will into savor two. It. Yes, three-hour chunks. There, It's a big play. I think a lot of writers at that time, gay men, who were uh, 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 experiencing the epidemic in a day-to-day basis in mm-hmm. terms of AIDS, whether they had it or they were all their friends. Uh, and they also, the only platform they really had in the uh, late 80s and early 90s was live theater. There, there was not very much access on television, in the movies, in music, and the Internet hadn't been born yet. So there was... <clears throat> uh, we were using what platforms we had to spread the word, to tell the stories, to witness what was going on, to use as a tool of the dialogue, what we would say now. We didn't say it that way then. Right. But um, as a as a force for change, hopefully, to awaken right. the audiences to what was happening. And Tony Kushner is very much a part of that continuum of people. And I was, too. And Larry Kramer was, and William Hoffman, and Paul Rudnick. There's a succession of kind of gay male writer of that era that were writing their own stories in their own ways, and they were all using live theater. That was their platform and their medium. Um, with this, of course, it, it did. It, it, with Angels in America, it is the greatest play of my generation, I, I will, without a doubt. And I, uh, 
it's it, for me now, looking back at it 30 years after it was produced on Broadway and won a Pulitzer Prize, it won a Tony Award for Best Play. And actually, because it's in two parts, won two Tony Awards, because right. one for right. Millennium <laughs> Approaches and one for Perestroika. So uh, uh, it and, and, and brought a lot of people uh, onto the conscious scene of actors like Steven Spinella and um, um, of Joe Mantello. Anyway. Where was I going with it? Oh, oh, 30 years later, it gives us a place of hindsight. Like when we did Love, Valor, Compassion, that's another one that came out of that era from Terrence McNally. And it it was, when we did it here, I knew that a lot of the people in the audience, actually everybody in the audience, because HIV AIDS affects and gay people affect straight people too. So um, I knew they were sitting on the other side of the story looking backwards and seeing these people struggle to survive, struggle to find the things that a human being wants to find before they go right. and or right. um, work through their stuff. Um, and so it, it was an interesting thing to go like some of these people knowing in the audience will survive and others won't. And that's actually in Perestroika. He says when he talks to the audience at the end of Perestroika, spoiler, he does survive. Um, a prior Walter says uh, uh, some of us may survive and some of us won't. And so in 1983, when it played on Broadway in 84, we were looking at it in in it, right? right? Like what he was talking about was happening in the audience then. We're on the other side of that 30 years later with, with drugs and uh, safe sex education and generations of people who know how to uh, engage safely. Um, um, so it's a different place. And, and the young right. people I've been talking to in town uh, and I say young, like 30 and under, is that uh, a half a dozen people have said, oh, I want to audition. I've heard it's really good. I, I just don't know much about it. And it's like, okay. Oh. I said, well, you're the reason we're doing the play. Exactly. I mean, they're part of the reason. You know, we, we've talked about this before, Jeanette. Like, we're here in the beginning of the 21st century. We're 24 years in, right? So what do we bring from the 20th century into this century and continue it? Or what do we leave behind? Right. You know, there are things what's we're gonna, worthy of being a legacy. What's in worthy, a sense. right, yeah. to tell these pieces of different historical stories, yeah. and also, as you said, you know, the the, uh, the way Tony Kushner's uh, language and 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 depth and and length of work changed the way the Broadway work, the way everybody has been working, uh, immersive theater. I mean, just there's like all kind. You could you could pinpoint to different directions on how his work has influenced and really expanded the way we story tell, I, I would say, um, in so many levels. So I'm, I'm, I love to do that being here, especially, at, you know, I, I always feel a, a responsibility to the legacy of Provincetown when I um, choose a season or choose a play or a musical or whatever to, um, to lean into and continue to pull that rope, that thread, all the way into now that we are still uh, the modern uh, birthplace of American theater. And so on some level, there's like a popularity thing. On right. another level, there's like, well, what did this play do or what does it say to us now? And how is it relevant to us, whether it's Our Town or Arsenic and Old Lace or, you know, you, you can name a lot of famous plays. And, and how do you like, grab onto them and make it present for us. Right. Um, because there are reasons these right. things are classics and they hold. Yeah. 
But there's also more of a reason. Just because they're a classic doesn't mean that they're a great play or a play that we want to move forward. That's true, too. Um, I mean, I don't mean to be knock writers or anything, but when you start looking at the work of Neil Simon, who was the most popular writer of his, uh, his generation, those plays, they just... All the mores of them, the ethics of them, the standards of, of uh, a gender identity in them are just so far away from where we are and where we're going. So uh, things like that. So what do you see as the message that Angels in America has for 2024? <laughs> well, it's so funny because when I was reading it, not so funny, it was... I was reading, you know, Roy Cohn plays a very significant role in as the antagonist in this play. And it's, it follows two couples, if you don't know the play. It's a, it's a gay couple and a straight couple. And they how their lives intermingle and they, they, they become transformed by the end of the play. All of them do. And, um, and Roy Cohn represents the government. I mean, Tony Kushner, he has said in, in interviews, like, I am not a religious person, but I believe politics is the American religion. And so he's very into using the politics of that 1980s era, which is Ronald Reagan, and that era of greed and and denial and power playing, you know, the rich and the poor, the have and have nots, and how we worship that, we still do today. I mean, look at our thing. So when I was reading it um, a few months ago when I decided we were going to do it, or when I was considering it, I was very drawn to the Roy Cohn character because he's really the, the, the moral father of Donald Trump, right. and he was a mentor right. of Donald Trump's, and 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 Cohn went after him to embed him with these ideas, and to really overthrow. I mean, he's Roy Cohn. If you don't know about him, I mean, he was part of the McCarthy, McCarthy hearings, right. where they were witch hunting, and they were uh, the communists and all of that. Real witch hunts instead of yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's responsible. He's partly responsible for the last uh, death of a spy in this country. Ethel Rosenberg, the Rosenbergs. The Rosenbergs, yeah. And she's a character who visits him in his dream, and she's a ghost that haunts him in the play, which is great. There's ghosts in the play. The character Prior Walter is a pilgrim a descendant from the Mayflower. Um, so there's a lot of ways of looking at the play that are like, oh, this is still a part, this continuum of our lives is alive and well. Um, uh, uh, but looking at the play then, I was like, oh, Roy Cohn's presence is very felt today. He really, he really planted the evil, devil, evil, devil seed <laughs> in our culture, and it's still present. It's still relevant. It's still now. Not that I'm looking for us to look for now in terms of, like, oh, this is like now. Like, no, everything is now. If you're going to do it, when I do it at our theater, so. But I am looking at it like, okay. This isn't something to the dustbin of history. The way we thought when it was written, it would be. We right. and I then we that, moved into that's... Obama. We moved in, you know, toward a culture that was expanding further and further. And as Kushner says in the play, the world only moves forward. It does not move back. We have to keep moving forward. And that kind of message of hope through the characters in the play is what I want to pull in terms of the hope, you know, where the phoenix will rise from these ashes for and to give people hope, you know, not only hope that we we went through the Reagan 80s and that kind of world and Roy Cohn, and now we're at another kind of like series darkness. of obstacles yeah. of darkness. Yeah. Where is our light? It's in us. It's in us. It's in the people, the characters in the play, 
and it's in us. We are have to do the work, and we're doing it. And so I want to. I'm cheering on the people who are doing it in a way by witnessing their struggles, and also showing people who may be afraid of those things. You don't have to be afraid of them. Watch these people; they're going to do it. You know, like using kinds of demonstrations. So it's it 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 plays on a variety of levels for me, and it's funny, and it's moving, and it's sexy, and it's got all of those things that I love in the theater, all those emotions, those big emotions. It's not just a political diatribe at all. In no. fact, it's it's like a saga of these people's lives. It's this big saga. The movie version had Mer- Meryl Streep and, and, and Al Pacino and, and, and Emma Thompson. I mean, it had substantial actors. And uh, the stage version's been done all over the world. It's been revived twice on Broadway and uh, uh, so it's one of our classics that we need to embrace. And we haven't done it out here. No one has ever done the full production. There was a reading of it about eight years ago, nine years ago here at the theater. Some friends of mine were involved in it. And they did it for like two nights. They did reading. And, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and that, that that's, it, you should. You should do It's a good read. Um, but it, it needs a production. You'll see. You'll see. And uh, people are excited about auditioning for it. Their auditions for that are tonight and then tomorrow night, Friday night, and then Saturday 12 to 5 for Angels Plus, one of the other shows that we're doing this season, which is is? the Rocky Horror Show. So we're going from Angels in America (laughs) to space aliens who are having a sex party. So... (laughs) I see the progression, yeah. Yeah, you see see that. You understand that arc, right? Um. Actually, because I wanted to have a big, subversive kind of party of a show this summer. Um, Last year, we did that uh, newfangled version of the Fantastics, which I loved and I loved working on. Audiences loved it. And they really wanted another musical this year. And the board of directors wanted a musical this year. So I'm like, if you want it, it's going to cost you. But but I, I have a short list of shows that we are that we can do, that it's possible to do here because of the small size of the cast. In the summer, it's harder to cast musicals from the community. I mean, if we had uh, you know, if we had equity contracts, which we have a, f- a few here and there, um, but if we were a full equity house with housing and all of those things that you can have, um, we'd be doing a mu- we'd be doing three musicals a year because we would have the resources to um, support that, the infrastructure. But we don't have that yet. I'm hoping that, you know, we're going to get there eventually. So uh, uh, I wanted to do, I have like a short list, and I looked at a couple others very carefully and very studiously and ruled them out, ruled them out for different reasons. One was like, no, it hasn't aged well. Another was like, oh, that's an off-season musical. That's not a, that's not a summer musical. And I kept coming back to Rocky Horror, and I was like, we should do this. We should do have a really good time. Who doesn't love Rocky Who Horror? Doesn't hor- I mean, I it's mean, so much fun. The score is actually, there's like five or six really good songs in it. Like, really good songs in it. So John Thomas, who does uh, my musical direction over there, is going to lead a live band. And um, we're playing around with tempos and playing around with you know, arrangements and things like that because he's very into that. Uh, and Robert LaFosse, who's a friend of mine who's a Tony nominee for Jerome Robbins Broadway um, when he was a dancer, uh, is going to come up and choreograph it for us. So I'm very excited to work with Robert, who I've worked with before on a couple of shows. And um, he's excited 
to come here. He loves Provincetown. And uh, a friend of ours donated housing, so <laughs> we can house him. I'm serious. you know. Right. These are the things you have to think about in a place like Provincetown. Every one of your sure. listeners and you and I know, like, these are the realities. And so we're trying to do that. If uh, if you have an extra room out there and you, you'd like to donate to the Provincetown Theater, uh, give me a call over at the theater. I'm glad to uh, have a discussion with you. But we're announcing the whole season. Everything goes on sale today. For $250, uh, that's the early bird special. It'll go up to like 275 or 300 something like that in a few weeks. So, um, so we're doing tickets today. Yeah, we have Angels in America in May, and then we have the Four Star Solo Show Festival, which we're still booking the different acts. We've got some very interesting things, maybe a cooking show, an, Asian, an Indian cooking show. I mean, we'll see. It's going to be some cool stuff. Uh, and that's in June, a different show every week. And then we have Rocky Horror from the middle of July all the way to the uh, first week in September, four nights a week. Um, and then we have a world premiere play by Meryl Cohn called The Faraway Advantage. It's a, it's a play that takes place in Provincetown. And it's about a friendship between two women who um, make a promise in their youth of their friendship. And this is like 40 years or 30 years later, and they come together to see if that plan, that promise they made of, of a plan, if they're going to follow through with it now or they're not going to follow through with it now. It's a really beautiful, funny, um, romantic, uh, interesting, intimate, you know, female friendship play. We're going to do that for three weeks in October. And then the first three weeks, it'll close uh, when Women's Week closes. Um, and then the last play of the season is one of the most produced plays in America, the one you've never heard of. It's called Almost Maine, and it's a play about a very tiny place, a mythical place, really, at the northernmost peak of Maine, our New England uh, neighbor. Um, and it's a series of nine different crossroads of kind of romantic partners in that town in a snowstorm at the same time of night at different places. So you get these different scenarios and, and it's all done sort of in, in the foreground with the background of the northern light. So it has this sort of uh, mythical quality, you know, this magical quality to it. It's funny. It's written by a New Englander, John Cariani, who is also nom nominated for a Tony for his work and something else. Mm -hmm. So it's a big community piece. It's got like 10 people in it. So I want to do a, I feel like at the end of the season after the election, we're going to need a big hug no matter what happens. Um, if we, you know, we go forward or we secede. So... <laughs> <laughs> so or whatever happens so i feel like this is a way of starting off with the community and sort of ending with the community a lot of them have things to do with the sky weirdly i was thinking about it, like angels come down from the sky in rocky horror it's the space aliens who come from the sky and in this we look to the northern, the northern sky lights, yeah. the northern lights to sort of expand and open possibilities of our hearts in a, in a, in a romantic way i mean they're all uh, romantic little stories. They're funny and they're quirky, and uh, you'll see. And I really love it. It's it's really good. I really want to do it. So it sounds like a sort of uplifting oh, season. Oh, almost Maine is definitely uplifting. But there's a lot of uplift. Yes, Merrill's play has an uplift in it. It's a beautiful evaluation of uh, female friendship, but just friendship. Mm -hmm. I was talking with uh, my boyfriend about. It and he hadn't read it, and he goes, "Oh, I really want to see that one. I really want to see that one." I'm like, "Oh yeah, you'll like it. It's really good." And yes, up and Rocky is uplifting because it's a party, 
Um, it's going to be fun. I've got some new ideas to throw in. We're not quite sure how we're going to do the, you know, throwing of things and yelling of things. There's certain <laughs> things I don't want to be yelled at, but I want to. I want to see how we're going to negotiate that. That's a puzzle, you know. That show. So we're having auditions for that on Friday and Saturday, not tonight, for for Rocky Horror. Okay, so all the auditions are happening at once. Simultaneously, Angels and Rocky Horror, but Rocky is only tomorrow, uh, Friday and Saturday. Okay. Saturday, 12 to 5. Uh, prepare two rock songs if you have to, a ballad and an up-tempo. We've got some sides, but I'll tell you. Honestly, Jeanette, they never talk in that play. <laughs> they just sing. They just sing one song after another. And like the like a lot of musicals, but I'm looking for like sides and scenes to do. And I'm like, and Angels has pages and pages of <laughs> monologues and stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, Rocky Horror is like four lines. You know, like Rocky himself has probably five lines in the entire play. Magenta, she doesn't have hardly any lines. She makes a big impression. But... Um, so I just picked one phrase, which is how sentimental she says at one point, uh -huh. right? So if you're going to audition for a magenta out there, folks, ladies, women, people, female identifying, um, we, uh, you're only going to say how sentimental five ways for me, okay? <laughs> That's your audition. You're going to sing a rock song and you're going to say those lines five ways. <laughs> That's it. I don't know if people don't are come in costume though, guys. <laughs> don't come in costume. I don't know if people are going to feel encouraged by that or to or totally terrified. <laughs> I think I think the idea of like coming in and singing one or two uh, rock songs is intimidating. It makes you work. But you know what? Doing theater is worth the work, and uh, uh, and the people who are hungry for it are coming in and picking up sides for the different parts, which you can do if you want to come by the theater. There's a series of scenes that will be the audition scenes, and uh, including you know the five lines that Rocky says. So, <laughs> well, I was going to ask you how challenging it is to cast something like Angels, but actually, it sounds like it's more of a challenge to cast Rocky. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, what well, the challenge of Rocky is getting that, getting that feeling of rock and roll. I mean, really getting that. Um, I feel like it's a rock and roll classic. It's a rock and roll cult classic. It's like we we, we lean yeah. into the cult, but those songs are written. I mean, the Meatloaf song, you know, Hapatootie, bless my soul, da 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 rock and roll. You know, those songs are like, they are hot songs. So. I want it to sound like that, you know, rather than uh, I want if you're going to come in, like, give it to us, G you know, give us your rock star, you know, uh, go to go. This, practice is, your, this at, is your moment. This is your moment, man, <laughs> to be a rock star all summer because they all are. They all have to claim the stage and do a rock song. Every single one of them. Right. Right. And there's actually a, a song that's not in the movie. That Brad has it's really pretty ballad. It's a, a, a it kind of it, it it gets soft for a moment for him. Like I don't know what I'm gonna do. It's a pretty song, um, because it's the story of these. It's the story of Provincetown, because it's the story of people who come here and get transformed into something else. That they learn, right. they crack open, so to speak, <laughs> their their hard shell of gender and conformity and. And re rethink all of that. And pe I find that all the time, you know. I remember when I was doing Tawny, for those of you who uh, know that, uh, Jeanette knows this character I do. And, and this was like 10 years ago when I was doing uh, uh, Summer at the Crown and Anchor <clears throat> once a week down there. And 
this uh, this happened a couple times. Whenever I would dress up in Tawny, blonde hair, all legs, mini skirt, pretty. I, this, I remember this straight couple coming up to me and going, yeah, do you want to come back to our, uh, you know, we're like... <laughs> And the wife was the one sort of putting the moves on me to come with them, this couple, this straight couple. And I had straight guys as well as gay guys. Like, I was invisible to them until Tawny arrived. And then suddenly, right. because it's she... It's a presence. It's a presence. Yeah. And it's, it, it, it reflects, her femininity reflects your masculinity. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> for those who know I'm in drag, which most people do... Well, it, it also knows, like, I remember this one guy says, yeah, I'd like to take you home and, and unwrap you for the surprise. <laughs> All right. We're going to leave it All at right, that. All right, we're going there, guys. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're going there. are going there. Um, auditions tonight, tomorrow, and Saturday. Saturday for Angels in America, and just tomorrow and Saturday for Rocky Horror. Correct. Correct. And you can go online and look at our season and get it season tickets. And get the season tickets today. You get reserved seats. You get to go in first whenever you want. Um, a, yeah. You get to hold on to your seat. Like you can come two minutes before the show starts and sit down in your Always a plus. Seat. Always a plus. Yes. David Drake, thanks so much for being on oh, Arts Week again. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks to everybody for listening in. We'll talk again soon. I'm Jeanette de Beauvoir. This has been Arts Week on WOMR, Outermost Community Radio for Cape Cod and beyond. Au fait, j'ai voulu te pour te te demander allo quelque chose quoi